For over 37 years, TargetLeads.com has harnessed the power of direct mail and targeted lists to help you achieve your marketing goals. Whether you are a coach, an athletic director, an administrator, or you represent a nonprofit or a for-profit entity, direct mail with highly targeted lists continue to outperform social and email campaigns. If you are looking to reach prospective students or athletes, they have the lists. If you're looking to grow your business, they will find you your next customer. While we spend so much time online, the offline physical touch and feel of mail stands out, gets noticed, and generates response. Don't sleep on the power of mail. If you are recruiting, fundraising, or growing your customer base, mail should be a part of your marketing strategy, and TargetLeads.com is there to help you achieve your goals. Visit TargetLeads.com and please let them know that Coach Climo sent you. TargetLeads.com. Mail works. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I am feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined by Brandon Laird, former head coach at Sacramento State University. In part two of this in-depth interview, Coach Laird takes us through the second half of things he learned this year and the way in which he will apply them in future roles. This is a master class in leadership and accountability, and I encourage everyone to get out a notepad, 
and follow along as Brandon takes us through a punch list of both obvious and not so obvious lessons from this past season. Number five, you got to manage your players' expectations. What do you mean by that as an obvious, but then also what's the not so obvious that's the hidden part of that iceberg? Yeah, I think uh, the head coach ultimately is responsible for those hard conversations in terms of a player enters a program as a freshman with expectations of playing or whatever their expectations are coming into a program. A freshman, I heard this the other day, this to me makes sense. Freshman wants to play. Sophomores want to start. Juniors want to score. Seniors want to win. <laughs> yep. Those are, so let's just use those as general expectations. Okay. Now a, a head coach's job is to manage those expectations. And it goes back to it's a race to figure it out. And part of figuring it out is getting a player to buy into their role and helping them to manage their development and their expectations. I think the not so obvious part on that, and this is a huge challenge, is you have to manage the player's expectations and the outside influences that come with them. And that's the really hard part as a head coach. What's hard about it? Okay, as an assistant coach, I could massage a lot of those conversations. I could be big brother. I could be really encouraging. I could dance around the subjects a little bit to keep everybody happy. But when you're the head coach, you cannot do that. You've got to cut right to the chase and you've got to be truthful and you got to be honest. You cannot massage those conversations whatsoever. And let me say this, you know, like outside influence. Well, what are outside influences? Parents, uncles, AU coaches, trainers, everybody has a vested interest in the individual playing and being successful. The moment that individual isn't getting the playing time or the shots or the success that those outside influences want, there now becomes maybe some intentional or some unintentional messaging to the player. And this happens at every level. I don't think this is just a division one head coaching problem. I think that youth sports have to deal with this. And so as a head coach, how do you manage the expectations and the outside influences that come with them? And when you transition from assistant coach to head coach, are you willing to maybe damage some of those relationships in the process? Are you willing to upset that AAU coach because you're not playing his guy? Are you willing to upset the trainer that has spent all summer working on that guy's shot. And now you're telling him he can't shoot threes. And these are just examples. How are you going to manage the text message from the mom, the dad, the brother, or the uncle that comes in when so-and-so only plays three minutes in a game? And again, being blunt, being truthful, being honest, and, and, and doing your best. As a head coach, you've got to be prepared to, to tackle those issues as they come through. I think that's just the best way to say it. And again, there's no... I don't, there's no sugarcoating the answer. Like you've got to, you've got to be ready to hit those things straight on. And you also have to be prepared to understand that those entities are only seeing a very small glimpse. They're not seeing the data and the months and months of meetings and behind the scenes work that ultimately is leading to the decision. And so for me, I always just share that. Yeah. I always just share that. Yeah. I'd say like, We've tracked a thousand shots. Here's what he's shooting. He was late for practice. Did he tell you that? He had an altercation with an assistant coach in a locker room that we need to address, whatever it may be. And these are just examples. Yeah. But those are things that 
hey, did, are you aware of that? But I think you have to be prepared to have those conversations and just do the best you can with them at that point. Yeah. And I'm going to just point out one thing before we move on here is the idea of managing expectations, specifically identifying roles, clearly painting those and allowing athletes to have success in whatever that role happens to be. But also what I want to point out, what you said is you can't sugarcoat some of these things when you become the head coach. It's like some point you got to be direct and you can tiptoe around it and it's going to get to that point eventually. You're a whole lot better off just leaning right into that conversation. It's going to be messy, but it gets you to the other side a lot quicker than trying to massage it throughout the course of the time. And this is for all those out there that I've stolen from another place, but yo, life's not fair. Get used to it. And ultimately this is only going to help your son grow. And I promise you, we have his or her best interests at heart the same way we do with the team. And those conversations aren't going away until you have them. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing too. It's what's in the best interest of the team. And I think when you're an assistant coach, you can massage some of that and you can keep the individual's interest at heart. And as a head coach, you still have the individual's best interest at heart, but best interest of the team is always above that. And it's just, I, I wrote something down. Coach Katz always said outside influences must be addressed every day. And can you shift the focus to being a great teammate and sacrificing for the team versus the pressure of performing outside of your role that comes from outside influences? And that's just a tug of war that a head coach has to be prepared to deal with every day. Yep. And I would simplify that even more so to something my president has said, which is how can you learn to see the success of someone else without seeing it as a loss for yourself. So it's, hey, this guy's starting. I need to be excited for him rather than somehow it's a zero-sum game. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to teach. And it's a hard thing to do in life, but that's the reality of any space you work in. We talked a little bit about being a problem solver and uh, why that, for me, is the addictive part of this. Can you talk a little bit about uh, things that you needed to deal with that led to that being on the list? Yeah, so number six, right? Being a head coach, you got to be a problem solver. I put the not obvious part is you need to wake up every day and go into the, not going to the office, but from the moment you wake up every day, <laughs> expect three unexpected things to happen. And not only do you need to be prepared to solve those, but you need to be, have your schedule organized so that you can solve those things. And I think that's another big part of that, but that's a separate issue. Google calendar, y'all. Yeah, there you go. Good shout out. It's some NLI money for you. <laughs> uh, I mean, here's to me like things that, I don't know. I'm sure somebody's experienced this before, but I referenced this earlier in the year or earlier in the podcast. We traveled down to play UC Riverside. It's December, I want to say maybe 19th. Oh, somewhere December 19th. Let's call it December 19th. And it's our last game before we go to Christmas break. Everybody's going to fly home from there. So we prep, we're anxious, we're itching to play. I think I told you, you know, we're coming off the Montana State games and we're chippy with each other and we learned a lot. And so we have a 10 day period before we're getting ready to play UC Riverside. And it's our last game before Christmas break. Everybody's fired up, we're excited. And I remember getting a call from our trainer that said the game may not go today. The Riverside had player test positive, something like that, something like those effects. Everybody knows the story. 10 minutes before tip off, I walk into the locker room. The guys think I'm coming in to do the pregame speech. I like, pack it up. They had already warmed up. Yep. They're sweating. They're getting ready to stand up. And I think do our, our pregame hug, our pregame prayer. They're getting ready to play. And I say, hey, guys, game's off. And they're like, what? Like th- practical joke, right? No, no practical joke. Game's off. Out of an abundance of caution, both administrations have decided to cancel the game. This was when the new wave of COVID was starting to hit. We were on the front end of it. Yeah. 
before Christmas. So that was uh, that that happened not once to us, but twice. So everyone goes home for Christmas, leaves LA. We come back on Christmas Day, practice and travel on, I don't know, like the 26th or 27th, somewhere in there. And the same thing happens at Oregon State 30 minutes before tip off. So as a head coach, how do you deal with not just playing the games, but the emotional toll and the frustration and the exhaustion that comes from that? To me, those were the extreme examples of unexpected things that aren't in the coach's handbook. Those are huge challenges. And then how are you developing your team? How are you running your race? How are you keeping your guys active in practice? How are you developing your offense and your counters when you're not seeing live defenses? Those are the tactical X and O things. And this is the other part. And everyone went through this, but how do you deal with COVID? You know, and then at that point, I think I told you five of our next six are on the road as we start big sky play. We coached one game with eight guys and two coaches. We had a coach out when I was bumped. To head coach, my position wasn't replaced. Yeah. So we were already down a staff member. Then we were down another staff member. And just how do you deal with the unexpected? Yeah. Right? How do you deal with, how do you deal with all of that? And then, so here's what I introduced to the team. And again, it's not unique to me. I didn't come up with it, but the Stockdale paradox. So I introduced, hey, do you guys know who James Stockdale is? Went through the story and talked about this. And this became a theme for us because we were in the midst of, became a very challenging season at that point. Like I said, from the time we were three and two to now fast forward to mid-January, where we might've lost like five or six in a row and we're dealing with all these unexpected challenges. We introduced the Stockdale paradox, which essentially is right. Can you maintain a sense of optimism while at the same time facing the brutal facts of your reality? Guys, here's the brutal facts of our reality. They're not changing. Those games got canceled. We're not remaking them up. We're in the middle of COVID. We're on the road. We're losing. We're struggling. We're not playing well. We're frustrated. Here's what's ahead of us. How can we maintain a sense of optimism and balance this out moving forward? And so I think that that was my answer as a head coach was try to, number one, stay organized because things are going to pop up that you don't expect. And then number two, have some sort of teaching format that's going to allow your guys to grow and understand those challenges. Yeah. And I was going to say, because you said it earlier, that you can't have a bad day as a head coach and that eternal optimism and positivity and the energy that you bring is needed in those moments. It's, hey, this sucks. <laughs> and we wanted to play tonight. But hey, we got to see Corvallis. <laughs> you know? And uh, I think it's interesting. This is irrelevant to pretty much anyone else. But Admiral James Stockdale was a prisoner of war. And I was in Vietnam at that time. And the brutal reality is they're not getting out anytime soon. But the belief that eventually we will, and when they asked him who made it and who didn't, his answer was the people that didn't make it were the optimists. And by that, it wasn't you stay positive. It was that, hey, this is the reality of our situation, and we're going to continue to be positive, and we're going to continue to work towards that goal. Ironically enough, his two sons were my high school teachers and coach, and his granddaughter is our women's basketball coach here. So small world, but way to bring that one into it. That's great. great. Um, Okay. I think... It's funny to see this on your list for me because I think relationship and communication is probably the biggest thing we do as coaches, even though it doesn't get the shine and the attention. And that you mentioned the word uh, ATM earlier. And I got this off of another episode and I've shared it a few times, but Chad Sanji made this comment. He said, relationships are like bank accounts. You have to have more deposits than you take withdrawals. And 
you mentioned that earlier where you were just making withdrawals the whole year and it's just draining. That speaks to the nature of those relationships, right? And it's not really a financial, you don't want a transactional relationship, but it's like the more deposits you make in another person, the better opportunity there is to help them grow later when you need to ask for a different behavior. So can you talk a little bit about the obvious communication relationships are critical with a head coach and their players? But that is obvious. But what's the not so obvious that you learned through this year? The not so obvious is that that dynamic is going to change when you move from assistant coach to head coach. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I tried my hardest to be the same person I've always been. My title is different. My role is different. Who I am as a person, my authenticity, my honesty, my genuineness tried to remain the same. I don't think any of the players changed either. But the reality is when you walked in the office and it was the first time I was a head coach, that conversation was different. It was different. It just is. And I think it was, it's different on two fronts. It's different for, let's say the freshman who's wide eyed and doesn't get all this. Yep. And is inexperienced in all this and his head swimming anyways. And coach Laird, he's always the cool coach. He's the one that had my back. He's the one that came over and put his arm around me when I was struggling and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To now coaches kicking me out of drills. (laughs) When I'm not doing great. And it's like, coach, what's up, man? Like that dynamic's different. You're my guy. What happened? Guy, what happened? Still your guy. <laughs> and then yeah, I'm still your guy. And I'll get to that in a minute. And then I think the other part was the guy who's maybe been there three or four years that was used to Coach Katz being the head coach. And there's an adjustment on that side as well. That adjustment was a lot easier. But the point of it was is another Coach Katzism. There is there is no there is no such thing as over communication. I don't. You're not. Re, here's what I would say. You're not rebuilding the relationship but you're rebuilding the trust. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, I'm the same guy. You're the same guy. We're still going for the same goals. Everything we've talked about is still in front of us, but the dynamics is going to be a little bit different here. You know what I mean? And you have to trust that I still have your best interests at heart. You have to trust that I'm still going to help you grow and develop into the best person and basketball player that you can be. And you have to trust that me as a head coach is still going to try and do that for you. And that uh, it's an adjustment, just plain and simple. And I think the faster you can rebuild that trust, the easier that transition is. Yeah. And I would also add, based on what you just shared, it is different and there's nothing you can do about it. And at the end of the day, the sooner you name it, the sooner you draw those boundary lines and help everybody understand the role that you are now inhibiting. And I don't think it needs to be as extreme as Herb Brooks when he was like, I'm here to be your coach. I'm not here to be your friend. You want a friend? Talk to those guys. But at the same time, there's a certain aspect of that that's true. The next one you had, I really like, and it's funny to me, and I'll share why in a second, but your workload will triple when you become the head coach. That's obvious. And so much so that, as I told you earlier, as you move up the proverbial food chain, as you became it, become the administrator or whatever, it triples again to the point where like, Half the time, if you ask me, hey, how was today? I was great. Well, what'd you do today? I have no idea what I did today. (laughs) It's like you're you're managing these things that you had no intention that you were going to have to deal with. And to your point, well, today was going to be this, but now it's this. Can you talk a little bit more about the not so obvious pieces of that workload tripling and how you manage that? Yeah, the most obvious, the not so obvious piece is the most valuable word you need to learn is no. Uh, No. And I... I'm going to back that up by saying, do you care more about winning or completing your project or someone viewing you as a jerk because you said no? All right. Because again, there's only 24 hours in a day. 
it goes back to the basketball season as a race and you have to figure it out and you want to try to figure it out as fast as you can. And the more time you can put into figuring it out, which means coaching your team, developing that trust with your players, right? Point number seven that we just talked about. All those previous bullet points we just talked about takes time, takes energy, is going to be challenged by people that also want your time and energy, okay? And it's not a bad thing, all right? I'm not, I don't want to paint that as a bad thing. It's a good thing, okay? But the number of meetings, emails, voice messages, text messages, media requests, they are going to serve a purpose and they're important. Are they important on your totem pole? Are they in your top three priorities? Are those things helping you win? And ultimately, you have to be able to be comfortable saying no. Hey, thank you for your interest. I apologize. I can't go to lunch with you today. I know this meeting is really important. Um, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no. We can't do it right now. Can we do it next Tuesday? Being comfortable saying no and being comfortable knowing that it might even upset some people is your job. It's not your job. It's something you're going to have to be comfortable with as a leader, as an administrator, as a head coach. And that's just the reality. That's just the reality of it. And I do understand now why, as, again, as you move up the food chain, if you have the ability to hire a communications director, or if I am in this position, when I'm in this position again, if I have an ability to hire almost a full-time person who can manage what I call the communication system, you got to have it, you know, because you don't want to burn relationships and you don't want to be a jerk. But at the same time, you have to prioritize what's important to you. And I also think when you're an assistant coach and you become a head coach, that transition is really hard because you don't want people to think, oh, you're a head coach now. No, you're big time now. You're a head coach now. You're big time. You don't have time for me anymore. That's not really what it's about. You know what I mean? It's just more about understanding the priorities of the job and it shifts. Yep. And again, I'll take this back to something you and I both know. And you have this on the sheet, but you didn't mention it. It's you move from the big brother to the parent role. And what I tell my kids, assume the answer is no. You can still ask. And we could talk about things, but we're starting from that place and then we'll go wherever we're going. And it's, that's the reality. 24 hour day. I'm, I joke with one of my students. I'm still waiting for the 48 hour day to show up so I can be more productive. And whatever that is, systems are important. How do you schedule your time? Google Calendar, again, how are you setting up expectations and training people to communicate with you? right? Are you constantly on the email getting alerts or do you batch them? Do people know that if you want a immediate response, it's this method versus this method? And I think that's something that we learn as we grow in whatever role, but taking what you just said, developing systems to protect yourself from all that outside noise, super important. And it goes right with what you were saying. All right. College athletics, the end of the day, for 99% of the universities, the goal is to win. Like how can we put the most successful statistical program on the board year in, year out? That's the goal, right? Winning is the obvious goal, what we wanna do, what's the not so obvious stuff that comes with that? Yeah, in my opinion, this is the part we all struggle with as coaches. And it's my I think it's the hardest part of being a head coach, the hardest part at any level. I think it's one of the biggest challenges in, in sports that we have today. Winning is always the outcome. Right. It's not about participation trophies. It's about winning. There's a winner and there's a loser. It's very black and it's very white. Not so obvious. And and I relearned this year. 
I relearned it. I, I've always believed this. And we can talk about this as well. Believing something, implementing it, and like being true to it is really hard. But let me get so the chasing a standard of performance, how you're going to win will get you farther and will help you enjoy the process more. Yep. So winning is the ultimate goal. But chasing a standard of performance and teaching your team that to perform to a standard is going to get you farther than focusing on winning. All right. I know millions of books have been written about it. There's probably hundreds of podcasts on it today. I've, I'm pretty sure on our first podcast, we talked about this, but here I am again as a head coach. And I talked about it earlier. When you start putting the pressure of winning onto a group and you make winning the ultimate outcome and the ultimate goal, it's not as effective in my opinion, as establishing a standard of performance. All right. And I think when you are able to get your team to buy into a standard of performance and you get them to buy into being a great teammate versus individual goals and you get them to focus on getting a little bit better today and all of those small things that go into standards of performance, at the end of the day, you're going to find that your team plays with more freedom they play with more confidence and they're not paralyzed by the outcome we had talked about this going all the way back to the first team meeting in my backyard at my house that we were going to have to do something very special this year in order to keep the team together all right i made the mistake of putting the pressure on the team to win those montana games and then like we talked about then COVID hit, things went sideways. We started losing. Our guys were competing their butts off, but we were losing and the losing perpetuated losing. And we got away from having fun. We got away from developing. We got away from being good teammates. And we started focusing maybe even on individual pursuits. And what happens is, again, is like when winning was the ultimate outcome, Guys were missing free throws. Guys were making mistakes they don't normally make. Again, because I think they become paralyzed by the outcome. All right. I remember, uh, so at some point during the year, we got crushed by Southern Utah at home. And I remember walking to the locker room on a Monday, and we had about three weeks left in our season, three or four weeks left in our season. I was like, you know what, guys, like our one goal had all been all season. Let's win the conference tournament. You know, let's boom, boom, boom. We, we Our focus was on winning. Yep. Okay. And as hard as I tried to navigate around that, the focus was on winning. And then at some point during that process, we changed and we just said, hey, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to focus on being the best teammates we can be. We're going to focus on doing things and we're going to focus on getting 1% better each day. Something along those lines. We traveled to Weber State that week, who was one of the top two or three teams in the league. We're beating them at halftime. Our guys are playing loose. They're playing free. They're competing their butts off. We ended up losing a close competitive game. And it was funny. You know what we did after that? After the loss? We went bowling that night. We went bowling. And I remember we were bowling. I remember our guys competed as hard that night as they had in any other game during the year. But they had fun doing it. Yep. And they were mad they lost. They don't, you don't care less when you lose. 
but the perspective was different. You know what, guys? Hey, we competed really hard tonight. Man, I'm really proud of, man, you balled out. You know, we didn't get the win, but you balled out, man. You competed hard. We got better. We felt good about ourselves. We went bowling that night. I remember being in the bowling alley and looking around and the guys were laughing and having a good time. And I said, you know what? This is it right here. This is how I want to coach. This is the experience I want the guys to have. We went to, the next night, we played at Idaho State, who had been playing really well at that point and won a really tough road game at Idaho State. We proceeded from then on to win, I think, five of our next six. We played, I thought, going into the tournament and that last month of the season, we were playing as well as anybody in the conference. And you, if you were to ask me what was different, just our perspective. Yeah. Just the perspective. Yeah. The perspective of let's chase a standard of performance. Let's focus on being great teammates. Yep. Let's focus on getting a little bit better each day. Yep. And God, man, those guys, then all of a sudden you would see guys take chances. You know what I mean? You would see them be a lot more confident in the shots they were shooting. And you saw a group that actually played together. And the sum of the parts all of a sudden became greater than the individual. And I think that's just such a hard thing for coaches to figure out how do you get your team to that moment? And when here's the other thing, when you're losing, and because we were losing, when you're losing, how do you say, let's not focus on winning? Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I think it's the proverbial challenge in being coach of any sport. And the irony of it for me is if we go back and run the first episode that you did and we run Katz's back to back, like he was speaking about that conundrum. Like the pressure to win is so big, you can't enjoy it in the moment. And you were talking about, hey, I'm a whimsical guy and I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And it sounds like, you know, from November until that trip to Utah and Idaho, you were trying to figure out how to get back to that. And you finally did. Wrapping this question up, can you give one or two things that shifted for you Rather than just the focus, hey, we're going to focus on these things, but no, like your actual behaviors and how you manage things and disappointment that helped lead to the culture that you created late in the season. Yeah, two, it's an easy answer for me. There, I had two seniors on my team, Bryce Fowler and Will Fitzpatrick. Those guys were freaking studs, man. And I looked at the pain that they were carrying and the frustration they were playing with. They weren't having fun. They weren't enjoying it. Yeah. It's not what they came back for because they were using their fifth year, their COVID year. And I looked at them. I was like, man, this isn't right. This isn't right. Like, these guys have invested so much into this program. And these guys are such great players and they're such great people and they're such great human beings and they're such great leaders. How, as a coach, am I failing them? How am I not maximizing this opportunity for them? And I just, I listened. I stopped telling everyone what we were going to do. And I just started listening to them. And I started listening to them say, what they needed and what they wanted. And honestly, at that point, I stepped back and I let them lead and I let them have fun. Yeah. And we, and again, we went bowling. We did movie nights. Yeah. We made it a, an experience where they stay connected and they led each other and it became their team, not my team. And again, I think once I took my external pressure off of them, they then excelled. Yeah. And Will Fitzpatrick had five games where he made five or more threes. Yeah. Bryce Fowler was the best player in the league the last five weeks of the season. It was unstoppable. Yeah. And those guys, they became not great players, but great leaders, and they rallied everyone else around them. So, again, I just, as a head coach, having the ability to step back, listen, let them lead, yeah. 
and find ways to maximize their experience. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting here like thinking to myself, like this Pete Carroll does this at the NFL level. Yeah. And their teams have won Super Bowls and been successful. And there's lots of different ways to lead. There's lots of different ways to win. I think at the end of the day, it's right about finding kind of an authentic vision that fits you and your personality. Yep. And I think early in the year, we were just running on emotion. Yeah. We were running on guts. And I think we were all trying to figure out this transition. And then the middle of the season happened. And I think we were just all frustrated and tired and couldn't figure out who we were as a team. And then once we were able to step back and let the team take over and let Bryce and Will take over, man, we, like I said, we were good. I thought we were as good as anybody the last three weeks of the season. Yeah. And I think that's the hard thing to do as a coach is to step back and let your athletes lead. But as you and I both know, the teams that have the best capacity to do that generally outperform the ones where the coach is micromanaging everything and calling all the shots. And to your point, I think one of our most impactful practices this year in the stretch of 22 days of not playing because of COVID and other things, it was like our practice was playing beach volleyball and spike ball. And it translated into a winning streak because that competitiveness and enjoyment of the guys became the norm at practice. And so like, how do you create those opportunities as a coach where you dial back the pressure of what everybody else is worrying about? And it's like, let's just be together. And I think it's the transition here is that you had this run through the year to get to that point where you realize, okay, this is what it really is about. And developing that takes time and developing a winning culture takes time. And you guys had one at Sac State in all of those years, even the years you weren't good, the culture was a winning culture. That's obvious. We know it takes time. What's the not so obvious about building that type of culture? Yeah. So I think this is the last one. And I think this is something we're going to have to study and analyze as a society moving forward or as college basketball coaches moving forward. The game has changed and I don't know. You have to win now. You have to win now. I think the years of building a culture and building a program, I'm not going to say they don't exist anymore, but I think that challenge has gotten a lot harder. Yeah. There's cultural norms in terms of, I don't want to say entitlement, but instant gratification for sure. There are rule changes with the transfer portal and the NIL where you've taken a team sport and given opportunities for individuals to capitalize on their individual performance. And I just think that there's, again, a pressure to win now. And again, we all want to win, but building a winning culture takes time. St. Peter's this year, Shaheen Holloway. I thought that was one of the best NCAA runs I've ever seen. That team was locked in, man. They were freaking good in every area. Do you know, I don't know how many years he's been there. I want to say four or five years. Do you know what his record was his first year there? And this is not a knock on Shaheen. He's a great coach. Do you have any idea what his record was? I looked it up and I remember it was like four and 22 or something like that. He was 10 and 22 his first year. St. Peter's. And I got this a lot in the spring. Every mid-major or low major nowadays, they want the next, they want to be the next St. Peter's. Yeah. Are you willing <laughs> to stick with that coach and that program and how he wants to build it? over a three or four year period to become St. Peter's or do you want to win now? Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. And again, there's lots of different ways you can do it. And I think the transfer portal allows you to win now. Yeah. 
but are you building a sustainable winning culture? And that makes me wonder as a coach also, how do you recruit and develop a freshman? How do you recruit and develop a sophomore? Are you, can you do that? You might be able to do that if you're building a sustainable culture, but if you're focusing on winning now every year, I'd be, I'm really concerned about the freshmen and sophomores in college basketball now and what that looks like. And again, the part about the long-term approach is if you start cutting corners or you start taking unnecessary risks when you're 10 and 22 and you're slowly building it up to get to where you want to go, but you have the external pressure of winning now, 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 there's an inherent pressure to take unnecessary risks and an inherent pressure to stunt development. And so I think there's this big dilemma of building a winning culture over a two or three or four year period versus building winning seasons now. And I'm just, I don't know what that dilemma looks like. And I would say that the not obvious point of that is as college basketball coaches, and if you want to be a head coach, you better figure it out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you better figure it out. And for me, like I would have to figure that out. Would I have the time to develop a winning culture over a two or three year period? Like I'm a Bill Walsh guy, right? And his first year with the Niners, they were like two and 14. Second year, they were like six and 10. But what he was doing was laying a groundwork and right. laying a foundation for future success. Probably a lot like Shaheen Holloway was doing at Seton Hall. Yeah. And you're doing it without cutting corners. Right. And you're doing it without taking unnecessary risks. And I would, I think a big challenge now today in college basketball at every level is can you build a program with that foundation again over a two or three or four year period, or do you have to try to win every single year? And if you have to win every single year, in a lot of ways, you now become like a junior college coach where you're just rebuilding your roster every year. Yeah. Which isn't the intention of education-based athletics, but at the end of the day, that's what it's become. And you got to navigate that. That's the model, right? Yep, yeah, for sure. And I think that's an interesting place to be in as there's not a lot of policy around these new developments yet. And I think you're going to see a lot of changes in the next 10 years and how people navigate that. Ultimately, I hope that they continue to put the athlete at the center of the equation and not use them to build their brand on the back of the athletes. But that's also the challenge there as well. Let me ask this coach before we wrap up. It's been a great opportunity to learn and I hope people were able to take some notes. But as a UC Davis alum and going to Sac State, which you've mentioned a couple of times as the rival and spending that time there and 11 years of athletes, 49 out of 50 graduated. The time that you put in there with the Sac State way and Coach Katz, what do you want the guys that are still there, right, that are alums of the Coach Katz tree, what do you want that experience to be like for them this year? And what do you want the alums that are now out in the world to hear in regards to your message for them? Yeah, no, look, I, it's home base. Right. It's always home base. That's in the recruiting process. Sac State was going to be the home base for the next for the remainder of their lives. And that that shouldn't change. They should also feel a sense of pride in knowing that. They built 
they helped build that program into what it is today. And they left it a better place than they found it. And they should feel a sense of pride in that. Again, the program's in a much better spot today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 14 years ago when Coach Cat took over. And I think a lot of credit goes to those alums yeah. that took a chance on Coach Cats and took a chance on coming to Sac State because they wanted to be a part of something unique and special. They wanted to be a part of a building process. They wanted to be a part of the first group at Sac State to win a Big Sky championship or the first group at Sac State to go to the NCAA tournament. That was always a chip on those guys' shoulders. And so I hope whenever that happens, that that they can take some satisfaction in knowing that they played a small, a small part of that. Yeah, yeah. No, and I love that. And it's something that, you know, when South Carolina won the national championship a couple of years ago, Don Staley made a point to send a replica trophy to all of the former women's basketball players that had gone through there. And my assistant AD is a former player and she has this thing in her office. And I was like, oh, what is this? And she told me the story, but it's yeah. that you're planting seeds that and watering them that you may never see grow. And that's ultimately what life is about. How are you improving the journey for someone else? How are you serving others? Sure. And with that, the last thing I want to know is, as you set up for the next chapter, when you're going to be a head coach again, what are the things that, without a shadow of a doubt, when somebody hires Brandon Laird to run their program, what are you getting? Yeah, I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> you're getting These are always the best answers, coach. I know, I know. And I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that because I've spent so much time reflecting on the last 11 years. But look, you're through this entire process. I've always tried to be very genuine and very authentic. Look, I'm a basketball guy. I love basketball, but I also love what basketball can do for you. It can give you a lot of life lessons. It makes you a part of a team and it makes you a part of a family and it gives you a brotherhood and relationships and connections that are going to last a lifetime. Basketball challenges you, but ultimately like basketball is not a sport that you can play forever. So when you hang it up, hopefully Brandon Laird's program has also given you the life skills that you can move forward and be successful with. It's also, again, giving you a home base, someplace that you can always look back and feel good about. And it's giving you the support, the necessary support that you needed to achieve your dreams whatever those dreams may be. And, uh, and look, and we can talk about this. I think there was a time and point I've gotten this question a lot. Do I still want to coach? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Unless something amazing pops up tomorrow. I'm not planning on coaching this year, but I'm trying to become a better coach during this pause. I'm going to be out and try to get to as many practices as I can get to. I want to try to get back and work on my net, building my network and trying to go back and maybe serve and help some of those people that helped me all those years. And there was a lot of things that, that I want to do basketball wise to, to stay involved in the game. And I bring that up because that's a question that I get every, when I talk to somebody, they're constantly asking me, do you still want to coach? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to coach for sure. And it's, I was in this process with my wife over the last few months and she brought up two things that resonate with me. And the first one was we met in 2012, got married in 2015. And she said, this is the first time I'm not seeing you coaching. And she says, coaching is who you are. There's an element of me, my soul and my spirit that that is just a coach at heart. I say that because that's what you're going to get. That's the authenticity and the genuineness of me. There isn't a false identity of 
me trying to be a head coach. It's just me being a leader and doing the best I can. And the second thing that she had said to me at one point during our discussions, because she'd asked me, or I don't know, maybe I was frustrated one day and I said, you know what, maybe I should just get out of coaching and go do something else. And she said, what are you going to tell Nixon in 10 years when he asked you why you stopped coaching? And Nixon being our two and a half year old son. And I had to really stop and think about that for a second. Was I going to tell him that, that I quit because I had a frustrating experience or because things didn't work out here at this last place? Am I going to give up on coaching now all of a sudden because, because things didn't work out or because this one experience again was, had a frustrating end? And the answer is no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give in on that. If anything, I feel like I'm a better coach today than I was 12 months ago. And I also believe that in the coaching business at any level, whether it's high school or college, but especially I think the Again, the higher you go to division one level and the professional level, I think that coach Williams, who's just been great to me through this whole process, he told me, this, everyone goes, most coaches go through this. This is part of the coaching profession. There's nobody that hasn't experienced being out of a job yeah. or not getting a job or being fired from a job. And I'm earning my scars. And I felt like I walked through the fire last year. And in a lot of ways, I think when you walk through the valley and you walk through the fire and you and you come out of that and you got some scars on your face and some blood on your nose and, and all those things, I think you come out a better leader and a better coach and a better person. And so I think that's a long-winded answer to when I become a head coach again, what are you going to get? I think you're going to get a coach with a lot of experience. You're going to get a coach who's a good family man. Yeah. You get a coach who tries to do things the right way. You're going to get a coach who helps individuals reach their dreams. You're going to get a coach who develops winning programs the right way. Awesome. I lied. I'm going to ask one more question because it came up while I was listening to you. And in our first recording, you used the term closed doors or blessings. And I've appropriated that from you since that moment. I've also shared with you many times that I firmly believe that sometimes our best decisions are made by other people. You actually wrote this into your email to your guys, as the saying goes, when one door closes, another one opens. What's been the greatest blessing of this situation for you of this time that a choice was made for you per se, rather than what you were hoping happened? What's been the greatest blessing that you've had as a result of this? Time and space, time and space. When time and space means multiple things, so time and space to become a better coach. Uh, well, let me say, start time and space to reflect on the last 11 years. Yeah. Time and space to reflect on those six months when I was the head coach and what I learned. So instead of rushing into another job and, and not taking the time and space to say, Hey, what'd you learn from that? So time and space to reflect time and space to sit with the tough emotions. How about right. that? Yeah. And time and space to say, no, look, I am frustrated. Yeah. Time, uh, I, time and space to say, I really wanted that job and it didn't work out. And yeah, mad about it, frustrated about it, but that's fuel for the fire moving forward as long as I'm processing it in the right way. Yeah. And right. And I think the last part of this is time and space for family, which you don't get a lot as a coach at any level, but especially a division one coach. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm joking with a lot of people and I'm crushing daddy daycare right now. <laughs> <laughs> crushing daddy daycare, uh, doing a lot of three day weekends with my wife training for a marathon or run the CIM Let's go. working on my golf game. So time and space for my own personal health, time and space for my family, but ultimately time and space to become a better coach and time and space to look in the mirror and look at the scars that I think I earned 
Yeah. And to know that I have enough faith to know that the right job's going to come up at the right time. And that next time I'm going to be better prepared for it. And I'm going to crush it the next time I get that opportunity. Love it. Hell man, it's been a marathon since you're training for one. I think we go a couple more hours and we'll be able to listen to this while you're running. But appreciate you taking the time and carving it out so that we could revisit the original OG downloaded pod here with Coach Brandon Laird. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.